come with me, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, otherwise we'll have the text on the screen as well. Matthew in chapter 5. Cheyenne just said, as we're challenged with the message, and uh, earlier she said it was going to be a hard message. I don't know what your expectations are for this, but I feel like she may have laid down the gauntlet. I don't know about hard and challenging for sure, but I tell you, I want this to be healing. Every week I secretly hope that the message will change your life. Um, this week, I'm just going to tell you, like, I hope this changes you for good. I hope does his work through his word, and we leave different, as, as Cheyenne just prayed. Remember that we have an election coming up on November 8th. Please do your research and vote. Let's go ahead and pray before we open the word Lord, I pray that you would stand in front of me, lime in front of them, that you'd talk over me while I talk to them. Lord, do this for our sake, because we need the healing that comes from your word. Do this for other people's sake, so that they can see your light in us. And do this for your glory's sake, that your glory would radiate like the sun. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have an equation I want you to show you as we get started this morning. On the one hand, I want you to think about cost. What does it cost? On the other hand, I want you to think about value. Like, what is the value that you get from that? So think about going to the movies and trying to decide whether or not the internet, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the movie popcorn is worth the cost. Like, is the value worth the cost? Some of you will say, of course it's worth the cost. Um, I get popcorn every time I go to the movies. Why would you even go to the movies without getting popcorn? I personally feel violated and angry every time I even think about buying movie theater popcorn because of the cost. I refuse to do it. To me, it is not even close to worth it. But you might be in a different spot, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I just want you to think about the equation for a second, okay? Another another. Cost, benefit, cost, value would be designer jeans, like name brand jeans. Is that worth the benefit? Is that worth the price that you pay is to get the right name brand on the back of those jeans? Is that, is that something you'd pay for? It's something not you'd pay for. I see Camden Droz doing a lot of whispering right now. I have a feeling I know where she might line up with that. Is that something you'd pay for? So this is, a, this is what I want you to have in your mind, this, this equation of cost to value. Now, what about, because this is not just the stuff we buy, it's also stuff we do. What about exercise? There's a cost to exercise, isn't there? There's time, there's energy, there's, if you're doing that, you're not doing something else. There's also value to it. So you're trying to do the cost-benefit analysis, the cost-value analysis of whether or not exercise is worth it. Here's where I'm going with this. I'm saying that in this passage, we're kind of faced with this equation of the cost of reconciling 
a relationship versus the value of the relationship. So, what will it cost to reconcile a relationship? Well, it'll cost time, won't it? It'll cost time. It'll cost, there's an emotional toll that you have to pay if you're going to have that conversation with him, if you're going to have that conversation with her. There's time, there's the emotional toll, and, and there's that thing you have to eat. Pride. Got to eat a measure of pride if you're going to reconcile. Is that worth the benefit of this? And so you might come down and say, it's just not worth it. And if you decide that the relationship is not worth that, you'll end up just ghosting them. You'll end up just quitting on them. You'll end up just avoiding them. Is the relationship worth the cost of reconciling the relationship? I want you to remember as we, as we jump into this text and read it, how did Jesus approach this equation? Of course, Jesus came, lived among us, and died for our sins, paying the ultimate price to be reconciled with us. So here's, here's what's going to, like, here's the main thing that I want you to have in your mind as we read through this text. Here's the main thing that you have to have. If you're going to get anything out of this, get this. See Jesus' heart for reconciliation in this text. See how Jesus went first in reconciliation in this text. Because as we go through this text, you're going to have lots, and I'm guessing, you're going to have lots and lots of yeah buts. My situation is different. Yeah, but he... Well, you don't know her. You don't know what this, like, okay, okay. Just let those be for a second and see Jesus' heart in this text. Can you do that? Like, let's do that first. So see Jesus' heart and remember that he went first. He's not asking us to do something that he was unwilling to do. So here we go, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus said, you have, heard, you have heard it was said of those of old. So Jesus has just said um, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so now he's going to show the difference between himself, Jesus, and the religious elite of his day. So he's going to critique the way they understand the law, and say you know, how he understands it better, and he knows what it really says. So this is an example of that. He's going to give six examples. This is the first one. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. That's the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments. That's the sixth one. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So they're like, what that means is don't murder, and as long as you don't murder, you're going to be okay, and you won't face judgment. They interpret it negatively. Jesus is going to interpret it negatively and then positively. So he says, But I say to you, 
that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. How do you, how do you feel about that? Everyone that is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Don't worry, it gets worse. And whoever insults his brother, so insults, you'll see there's a footnote there and a note about what the Greek word means, and that means raka, and you're like, oh, that's so helpful. Raka means like you have rocks in your head. That's a good way to remember it. Like you're empty-headed, like you have nothing up there. So it's a way of insulting their intelligence, questioning their head, like saying they, they, they're, you know, and I was trying to think, how would they say this at Ellie White Middle School? I don't know, but how, how we would have said it back when, oh, they're so dumb, you know, like, I don't know, you don't even tell me probably how they would say that at Ellie White. Like, how do they say that at the high school? How do they say that where you work? What does that sound like? I don't know what it sounds like, but you know what it sounds like. He insults his brother, calls him dumb, will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, so that's assaulting their character. So one is, one is their intelligence, the other one is their character. Think of the fool in Proverbs. He is someone of uh, extremely questionable moral character. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Okay, let me pause. Because you're not going to believe this. The second part of what I'm going to say. The first part of what I'm going to say is, I would not threaten people with hell for calling names. Jesus threatens people with hell for calling names. Anger is a serious matter. We went to grief counseling after um, Justice died. And I remember saying to the counselor, I'm just so mad. And her saying, Nathan, look at me. A lot of times, the only emotion men feel comfortable with is anger. That is so dangerous. It can become so toxic and harmful. Anger can become malignant. Please be careful. You're going to feel angry at times, but please be careful and please deal with it. So Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, so I have a map up here, you have the region of Galilee is where Jesus is speaking right now. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is the Jordan River running down to the Dead Sea. People in that day would start in Galilee, where the people Jesus was talking to, start in Galilee, go down, go around the region of Samaria, right in here, cross back over the Jordan River, go up to Jerusalem down here where the, where the temple and the altar was. So Jesus says, if you have made the three-day trip to Jerusalem, and you're offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you. So you don't remember that you're mad at them. You remember that they might be mad at you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. 
That's nuts. Humanly speaking, like this is not instruction that I would give. This is not instruction I would give. I would not say, like, look, I'd say, okay, go ahead, finish up offering your gift. If it was just Nathan and Nathan was wrong, Nathan would say, just go ahead, finish up offering your gift, and then go home and deal with it. Deal with it soon. Don't wait. Just deal with it. Jesus says, look, leave your sheep neighing by the altar. Who cares? Leave the thing. Hope it's there when you come back or not. It doesn't matter. What's the most important thing is that you run home, reconcile with your brother, and then you can go back and offer your gift. Why does Jesus give instruction like this? I think because he, I think because he knows how, how okay we are with conflict and how poisonous this is to us. How quick we are to settle for it's okay that it's unresolved, that's just how it is now, I guess I'm going to live with it. And how toxic, how infected that can be. Haddon Robinson writes that, he writes this, he says, I've been in congregations where people refuse to talk to one another. That's, that's the love of Jesus there, isn't it? He writes, I've been in congregations where people refuse to talk to one another. They sang hymns, prayed, and gave money, but they despised people who worshipped with them in the church. Man, that's hard. And if you've been in church long enough, it kind of rings familiar. I don't like to admit that. I mean, I really don't. I really wish that wasn't true. But that is a danger, and that's why Jesus' teaching on this is so extreme. He says God doesn't give good marks for external conformity. So you think of like offering your gift there at the altar, and hopefully I'm getting points for this, like that points that make up for the lack of reconciliation with my brother, Haddon is pointing out that Jesus doesn't give a rip about that. Jesus is saying, first be reconciled with your brother. When we know something is wrong, if we're interested in right with Godness, we must settle these disputes with others and quickly. This is Jesus' point in this next couple verses. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. So first we talk about brothers. Settle it with your brother. Leave your gift. Go and settle it. Then we're talking about accusers, like enemies, like people that want to take you to court and sue you. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. So you be put in prison. It's like this... Um, citizen arrest, where they bring you to the judge and say, they owe me, and you say, no, I don't. They say, yes, you do. The judge decides you're guilty. The judge puts you in a debtor's prison, and truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is saying the consequences for lack of resolution the consequences for unresolved conflict are much bigger and much scarier than you want to believe. So, here's what I'm trying to say. 
What I'm trying to say is see Jesus' heart for reconciliation in this passage. See how against anger he is. The anger that would have you doing character assassination or the anger that would have you saying, like, they are so... That kind of anger, see Jesus' heart for reconciliation. See his heart for reconciliation when he says, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. See his heart for reconciliation when he says, settle, settle with them on the way. Don't leave it up to a judge. You settle with them on the way. So see Jesus' heart for reconciliation. See how he did this as he came, as he died, as he rose, as he offers us forgiveness for our sins. See Jesus' heart for reconciliation in this. Then, what should we do? Well, this is going to be so painfully obvious, I hope, that you want to go, well, duh. But painfully obvious doesn't mean we do it. And I want you to do it. So, Jesus went first, so go first. So, like, you're going, yeah, but I don't want to. I know Jesus went first, so I know I should go first because I'm his disciple, but I don't want to. That's number one. Number two, I shouldn't have to because they're the one that are the jerk. (laughs) They're the one that are the empty head. Oh, wait, I can't say that. They're the one that wronged me. I shouldn't have to go first. I don't have the problem with them. What did Jesus just say? We just read it. Jesus said, if you are thinking about them and you're like, oh yeah, they probably have a problem with me. He said, drop what you're doing and go talk to them. So you might like, I don't want to or I shouldn't have to or, or maybe if you're really honest. If you're able to like, cut through all of it and just be honest, you'd say, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid that if I start picking at this thread, I don't know, I don't know what's going to come. I don't know where it's going to land. And I would, I would offer you that this might be, because as afraid as you are, I mean, you're afraid, no doubt. But this might be how Jesus makes you brave. Jesus went first, so go first. Now I'm going to give you three reasons why. Number one, and we've already alluded to this, but number one, because you're, you can't substitute religious activity for reconciliation. So what we might say is, well, I would go first, but I'm too busy. I'm busy, busy, busy. Busy at work, busy raising the kids, busy at church. I'm just really busy, and I don't have time to reconcile with them. Look, you've just read this with me. What would Jesus say to you? He'd say, stop what you're doing and go and reconcile with them. Whatever you're doing, it's not more important than you being reconciled with them. He'd say, look, I know you're busy at work, but you reconciling this will make you a better person and it will make you more productive at work. Work is not an excuse. You might say, well, I'm really busy with the kids. Well, do you want to model unresolved conflict for the kids? Is that what you want to model? Or do you want to model we work through things? 
for the kids. You might say, well, I'm too busy at church and I'm doing this really important stuff at church. That just makes us a hypocrite, guys. When we say, I'm really busy with church work so I don't have time to reconcile. It's just like this siren, like we're hypocrites when we say that. Because we say we follow Jesus' teaching, and if we follow Jesus' teaching, we'll drop what we're doing and we'll go and reconcile. But we have this amazing, amazing ability. I don't mean that as a compliment. I mean that as like, it's stunning, and I see this in myself too, of saying, well, I'm doing all this good stuff, and that probably makes up for the bad stuff. And we would say, as Christians, that is wildly wrong because Jesus is the only substitute. Jesus paid the price for our wrong. We can't add anything to that. Jesus covered our wrong. That's the atonement. Atonement means to cover. So we can't try to hide our wrongs by lots of good stuff. So please know that when you are like trying to tell yourself, well, I'm doing all this good stuff, so I don't have time to reconcile, that's taking something away from the atonement. That's taking something away from Jesus died for my sins, but then you're trying to add to what Jesus did. That's called heresy. So, I don't know, I don't know, that, that was probably more information than I needed to give you, but, but just know this, please stop saying, I'm too busy to reconcile. Jesus took away that excuse. Second, I know, this is why I started here, I know there's a temptation to say, because this is probably my biggest problem, reconciling will be so costly. It will cost so much time. It will cost so much emotional energy. It will cost so much in terms of having to eat my pride. Reconciling is so costly. It is costly, bloody work. And so I just want to avoid it and do other stuff that feels more productive. And maybe you do too. And here's the thing that I have to see, and that probably you have to see, is that there's a cost to unresolved conflict as well. The cost of reconciling is not the only cost. This is what Jesus said, right? That make sure you reconcile because you don't know what not reconciling is going to cost. I mean, what could it cost? Well, it'll cost you as a person because I think when you're, when you're angry, I think your heart gets hot. And I think I'm just going to use like a metaphor now that maybe it's helpful and you, you should hold on to it. Maybe it's not helpful and you should let it go. But it's like your, your heart gets hot when it's angry. And when you decide to just stay angry or just not, not deal with it, your heart hardens into bitterness. Your heart hardens into a brittle, it just gets a little harder every time that that comes up and you decide not to reconcile. Uh, 
I was watching an Alpha video a while ago, and there was, uh, it was with the teens, I'm pretty sure, a couple of years ago. And there is a, a testimony, personal testimony, about this person who had been really, really hurt as a young person. And what they envisioned was keeping their, um, the person that hurt them in a cage, like, kind of like the prison bars up there. Like They had kept this person in a cage. And they saw a vision or, or something and decided that they had to forgive for whatever reason. I don't remember why, but they decided they had to forgive. And so they go to let the person out of the cage and they realize that it was them in the cage the whole time. And how true is that? A lot of the times, all well, the people we're mad at, they don't even know we're mad at them, and they don't care if we were. They might have been dead for 10 years, and we still think we've got them in the cage. Like, there's a cost to you to holding on to bitterness. It's a hardness of heart. It's like putting yourself in a prison. There's a cost to other people. Because... They're part of the culture that you're producing. So if they see you model unforgiveness, if they see you model bitterness, if they see you model, I like to ghost people when, when I'm mad at them, if they see you model like building up walls and keeping people out, especially your kids, like they're going to follow that example. They tend to repeat patterns. There's a cost to Christ. Remember what he said. I don't know if you remember or not, but we taught through John 17, and we taught about Jesus' prayer. It was this high priestly prayer. Brendan and I teamed up on it. And the third message in that series was about unity and how Jesus said, look, the best apologetic you have for my deity, the best proof that you have that I am who I say I am, is your unity. So like when people see church people fighting and biting and hating each other and being okay with it, it makes it really hard for the outside world to look at us and think Jesus is who he says he is. Our light, our light shines the brightest when we find a way to agree and we find a way to be unified. So, Jesus went first, so we go first. So, um, three reasons we go first. Number one, we can't substitute religious activity for reconciliation. Number two, because not reconciling has a cost too. Because unresolved conflict also has a cost. And number three goes back to what we had just, the series we did on the Beatitudes, that Jesus really is for your well-being. Jesus really is for your happiness. He really is. He, he really wants you to be content and blessed. He really does. And so like the pinnacle of repentance, like where repentance is going the whole time as you make this U-turn and change directions, is peacemaking. Like this is what Jesus, where it all leads to. Now, we, might, we may be persecuted for this, and persecution is something that we don't seek, but a lot of times it's a fruit of doing the right thing. But peacemaking is, is what we strive for, that it all ends up in peacemaking. And peacemaking is reconciliation. But this, 
this is hard for us to get our heads around because I think there's something in us, there's something in us that really believes anger is an asset that we want to hold on to because eventually somehow it will bring us joy. You know that's wrong when you hear me say it, but, but part of you doesn't want to let go of your anger because you're like, then I'll lose control, and then I'll lose... Well, why do you want to hang on to your anger then? Part of us really thinks bitterness will make life better. And you're like, no, I don't. Okay, well then, why are you still bitter? Just let go of it then. Forgive. Sometimes we think contempt will somehow, if we hold on to it long enough, develop into contentment. It will not. Anger is not an asset you want to hang on to. It will not lead to joy. Bitterness will not make your life better. Contempt will not lead to contentment. And hate will not eventually make you happy. Jesus has been saying, look, blessed, 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 blessed. And he ends up with, blessed are the peacemakers. Would you be a peacemaker? Like, Jesus is for you. He wants your joy. He's for your contentment. He's for your happiness. And he's saying, resolution, contentment, reconciliation is the way forward. So please go first. Jesus went first. Please go first. Hey, John, can we turn the lights off? Let's go ahead and just pull down those master switches. Yeah, even up here. Go ahead and turn them all off. Yeah. So what does darkness do when darkness is mad? Darkness in the world. I think darkness stays mad and gets darker. I think darkness just lets hate, hate develop. And I think darkness kind of exacerbates the other side's weaknesses and minimizes their strengths. I think darkness is fine with ghosting people. Darkness is fine with icing people. Darkness is fine with like just quitting on people. But what did Jesus say about you? What did Jesus say about me? Jesus said, you are different because you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are Jesus different. So when you're really busy, and you're offering your gift at the altar, doing whatever you're doing, or singing this last song, and you remember that someone might have something against you, leave your gift and go and first be reconciled with your brother. Then come and offer your gift. And when the world sees that we really are different because we really do reconcile, they will see our good works and they will give praise to our Father who is in heaven. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've made a way for us to be different. Lord, I pray that you would pull us towards yourself and help us live out your calling to be Jesus different. Help us live in your strength. Help us live in your forgiveness. Help us be winsome and light-giving in our testimony. Lord, we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could turn the lights back on. And as the praise team comes up, don't let your heart harden. Right now you have an opportunity. Your heart might be soft. The Lord might be moving. The Holy Spirit might be pressing on you. Now is the time to act. Please don't let this moment pass. Please send them a text. Please give them a call. Please go ahead and leave. But make things right. Let's sing.